Tonight's message is about faith. It's about faith. That's the title, about faith. <laughs> guess what the message is about tonight, everyone? Just one guess. Feel free to comment on it if you like, but it's pretty much really easy for everyone to get. The message tonight is about faith. It's about faith. It's about believing. It's about believing. Turn to the person next to you and say, can you believe this? Can you believe this? I don't care if you like the person or not, just tell them, can you believe this? You don't even know what you're talking about, do you? But it's about faith. Tonight's message is about faith. Believing. Believing. <laughs> the righteous, the Bible says the righteous will live by their faith. The righteous will live by their faith. Abraham was um, one of the righteous men alive, an example for all in terms of faith. I mean, he stepped out and did some amazing things at God's command, and he did some great things in faith. He showed faith. And the Bible says that when it comes to righteousness, like rightness with God, Abraham believed God and he was credited with righteousness from God. It's like Abraham went to the bank and he deposited belief. And God then gave him righteousness. Like, I get that Abraham was a decent kind of guy. Yeah, he made some pretty bad slip-ups, let's face it. Some lying happening here and there and some kind of some dodgy stuff, right? All in all, he was kind of a, a good guy. But the Bible doesn't say that uh, Abraham did stuff for God and God credited to him righteousness. The Bible says that Abraham, everybody say it, believed. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Just believe. That's all he had to do was believe. In fact, that's all we've all had to do. God is looking for believers. He's looking for believers. We're believers. We're not churches. We're not knowers. We're not prayers, although we are kind of all of those. But before that, we're believers. It's about faith. It's about faith. When it all boils down, all God is looking for from you and from me is belief. Just believe. He, he likes the fact that you do all the cool things that you do in your community for his sake. He likes the fact that we're part of a church and we worship on Sunday and we worship him and we read our Bibles and we pray. He likes that. But more than that, God loves believers. He's looking for believers, believers. In fact, the most famous, I think, Bible verse in the Bible, for evangelism's sake anyway, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever should believe will not perish but have everlasting life. Believe. And I love that because that word for believe in John's Gospel and, in fact, in this passage tonight too, is it's not just like a once-off, oh, yeah, I believed back then on that day. That was when I had faith. It's a continual, it's a continual lifestyle of believing. It's like God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe and keep believing in him would not perish 
but have everlasting life. Believe. Now, God likes us to know about him. You know, we want to share the gospel with people so that they would know about God. But more than that, God is looking for believers, right? Believers. Now, when I say he's looking for believers, there's different kinds of believers. I've heard it said, even from sermons, that um, we as Christians should believe in ourselves. We should believe in ourselves. I get that. We should have more confidence in ourselves and in our ability just on our own. We, sh- we should. We should We should have better self-thought uh, and less self-doubt and better self-coaching. We should We should believe in ourselves to some degree, but believing in yourself will take you so far. In fact, believing in yourself, science has proven, believing in yourself and your own abilities will take you further than you think you can go. But even that has a limit. I don't see the Bible ever anywhere saying that we needed to believe in ourselves. Well, I can do all things, yes, but through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because it was Christ himself who said just just prior to dying on the cross, right, the, the night before or the night before that, somewhere there, right, he shares this story about how he's the vine and the disciples are the branches. Or God, Christ is the vine, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, right? And he says this in, in John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. No thing, nothing. Oh, you can do you can do stuff for sure. But as far as eternity is concerned, it's really going to count for nothing. Yeah, you can go this far. You can have this amazing thing, you know, in your life. You can have these future aspirations and a plan and, and you can build on something and yeah, in your own strength, you can go far. I mean, just have a look around. People without Jesus can go far just by having self-belief and confidence, right? But eternally, what matters is faith. Everything else will be burned up one day. But what matters is faith, is belief. That's why Jesus came. Not so that we could know how to serve God more or better or know that know how we could live for him better. Yeah, for sure, that's that's part of it. But the main thing, the one thing that God is really looking for is faith. This this last week we looked at the parable of the um, persistent widow when she prays in Luke's gospel. I think it's chapter 18. And at the end of that, Jesus says these, these words. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's what he's looking for. He's looking for faith. He's looking for faith because what God wants is for all the people that have ever been born to come to know him as their own father and be born again so that they can live with him forever in heaven. That's great news. But the only way that that can be achieved is not by going to church, not by being baptized, not by becoming a Wesleyan member, oops, not by not by praying 10 times a day or being the best. They're all good things, right? Especially being a Wesleyan member, they're awesome. That's awesome. But they're not going to they're not going to last forever. What is going to last is if we have surrendered our heart to Jesus Christ and believed in him 
for the forgiveness of our sins continually. Now, what I mean by that is sometimes in my life, I've done stuff that I'm not proud of, even as a Christian. And it's been, it's hard when you do that, when you find yourself in a failure spot, in a black spot, where you feel like I don't actually deserve to be forgiven. That's when you need to activate believing because what you feel is I'm guilty. I don't deserve. I'll never be all that, all the negatives. So then you need to overcome that with faith in what Jesus has done for you on the cross already by believing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him and continues to believe in it, keeps on believing in him, will not perish. Even though you die, eventually, you'll live forever. You'll have eternal life. And that's awesome news. It's about faith. It's about faith. And God is like a magnet to faith, any kind of faith, any kind of faith, any size of faith, any quality of faith. Any kind of faith in God is enough for, for him to turn his head. Faith is a head turner for God. Turn with me to chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel, 21, and we'll read through it. Here we go. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake. Now, let's just stop there. Remember last week, Jesus went from where he, where he is going now. He went from there, Capernaum, that Jewish side of the lake, clean side, right? And he's gone to the Samaritan side, Gennesaret, and he met with that poor man that had all those demons in him. Remember that story? Remember? Anyone remember that far back, seven days? And the poor man had all these demons in him, and he was a mess. His life was a mess. He was ostracized and isolated. and He, he was a mess, right? Jesus set him free and, and started writing in his story, a life and a ministry, and that man that left he left as an evangelist to the Decapolis to ten cities. One man, Jesus changed his life, and he was able to witness and share his story with ten cities. That's amazing. That's on the Samaritans, or the dirty side, right, the Gentile side, as far as the Jew goes. Now Jesus gets into the boat again in verse twenty-one. Here, Jesus got into the boat again, and he and went to the, back to the other side, so back over to the clean side, right back over to the Jewish site, Capernaum site, where the synagogue was, right? Where a large crowd, verse 21, let's keep going, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. So it's all happening. There's a buzz. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. This guy is a decent person. He's the leader of the local synagogue, right? So that means that he, is, he, is rep, he has a reputation as a godly man, as, as an outstanding citizen, a clean person, a decent person. I remember going to a church once and someone was telling me that um, this church, it's full of decent people. I didn't know what they meant. And then I started being a part of that church for a little while. I realized they're all actually really nice people. There's not a lot of mess going on. There's not a lot of, you know, you know what I mean? There's no, not a whole lot of mess. In, like church sometimes can be messy because unsaved people have problems, uh, so to save people, uh, but it can be messy, a bit like the demonic guy that Jesus met last week. Well, here now is, is like the total contrast of that. Here is a guy who's got it all together. His life's going well. He's upper class society. He's got a, he's got a prominent position. He is a decent man. 
And here he is in need. He arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet. He fell at his feet. He put aside all of his reputation. Remember, this guy was from the synagogue. Now, a little while ago in Mark chapter 1, Jesus was at the synagogue, probably the same one, right? And Jesus cast out a demon from a poor man in the synagogue. And it says at the end of that passage that all of the religious leaders of that synagogue made plans to kill Jesus. So there's not a lot of friendship happening between the religious authorities and Jesus, right? So, But here's Jesus, and he has this man who's the leader of a synagogue blubbering at his feet in need, in desperate need, not caring about what anyone might think about his decency, not worrying about what anyone might think about his position in society, his prominent place. He doesn't care that people are seeing a grown man crying. Why? Because he's desperate for Jesus to do something in his life. In fact, in his daughter's life. He comes to Jesus pleading with him, pleading with him fervently in verse 23. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Now, we don't know if this guy, Jairus, was part of the crew that wanted to kill Jesus earlier, but if he was, he's certainly come a long way. Because maybe, you know, if it was Jairus that was sick, maybe he wouldn't have turned to Jesus for healing. Maybe he would have been too proud to go to Jesus for healing. But he is this religious man that is a pillar of the society, and he's now broken before Jesus because his daughter is sick. She's the one who's dying. And it's breaking this man's heart. And he comes to the foot of Jesus. And he says, you can do this. You can heal her. You can put your hands on her and she can live. And we find out later that she is 12 years old. She hasn't had a chance to live. She hasn't come of age. She hasn't become a mother. She hasn't become a grandmother. She hasn't had a chance to experience life. And Jairus is coming on behalf of her, and he's in desperate need for Jesus to heal. And isn't it amazing that Jesus left the dirty side of the lake to come to the clean side of the lake, and there's still people that need healing? You know, it's not just those that are out there that need healing, church. Amen? There are decent people hurting in church, or we know people that are in desperate need of Jesus just to come and touch them and to heal them, and to give them life. Amen? Jesus can heal the clean people in your life. And with faith, remember the sermons about faith? Faith faith has no favourites. Faith exists in the demoniac. Faith exists in the man who is a leader in the Jewish society. The clean and the unclean. Faith has no favourites. It's just faith. And the amazing thing is about this is that Jesus doesn't respond with words. Mark doesn't tell us that Jesus says, yeah, sure, absolutely, it's a child, I'll be there. You know, if you rang triple O and there was a child in, in an accident or something, they go faster than they would if it wasn't a child. That's what I've been told anyway by reputable sources. They are desperate in need of healing of healing and helping the children in our communities, which is awesome about our paramedics. That's great. But there's something about a child that just it just gets to our heart. We just we want them to have life. We want them to experience what it means to 
have a job and have kids and have a family and and live a good, healthy life and grow to a ripe old age. That's what we want for all of our kids. But Jesus doesn't respond with words. He He just turns and follows faith. He follows Jairus. He follows faith. Verse 24, Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. This is, this, is, this is why Jesus is here. He's here to respond to faith. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him. He, he's after faith. Jesus is after faith. Yeah, he's come to heal people, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to, hit, to make the blind see, to set the captives free. But he's after faith more than anything from each and every person regardless of their class or their status or their position in society, their cleanliness or their uncleanliness. He's after faith and he follows this man, Jairus. Let's read on. As he's following this man, Jairus, he's on a mission. He's going to heal this guy. Imagine what Jairus is thinking, right? Yes, finally, I've got Jesus. This is going to happen. My daughter's going to be well. It's it's really close because she's dying, but I've got Jesus and she's going to be well because Jesus is coming to touch her. That's all he's got to do. He's got to touch her. And so Jesus starts to follow him. In verse 25, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten not better but worse. In fact, she'd gotten worse. Could you imagine there's a crowd, right? They're with Jesus, and they're following Jesus to Jairus' home which is probably a nice, big, clean home with everything, with servants, all the stuff, right? And it's all happening. It's going to plan. Jairus's plan is coming to fruition. He's come. He's prayed to God. He's asked Jesus to help, right? And, and God is on his way to heal his daughter. All of a sudden, you're going and going, and then all of a sudden, Jesus just stops in his tracks. And everyone wonders why. Have you ever been in that situation where you've asked God to bring breakthrough and then not long after that it seems like everything just stops? Has anyone ever been in that situation? And you feel hopeless, don't you? Because you think like, well, I've just I've asked God and he's able to do immeasurably more than I can ever dream or imagine according to his power working within me. And I believe that God can do all things. There's nothing he can't do. Everything is possible for God. So I ask him, to save my friend, or I ask him to heal my work colleague, or I ask him to save my marriage, or I ask him to fix my problem. And you believe, you believe that he will. And it's like he's he's on the same page as you. But then all of a sudden, it stops. Stuff stops. And here we have the crowd stopping and Jesus stopping. And why did they stop? Jairus doesn't know. The crowd doesn't know. And Jesus, he kind of knows. But there's definitely one person there that knows why. She was there for healing. She was there to be set free from something that had gripped her life and ruined her life for the last 12 years. She had constant bleeding. The funny thing is we don't know this lady's name. It's almost like this contrast of societal figures. Jairus is named. 
and his position is named, but this woman is not named. She's only mentioned because of her problem, not her position. Her problem was that she was bleeding for 12 years, continuously bleeding for 12 years, not just once a month bleeding, continuously. In the Old Testament law, in the Jewish religion, menstrual cycle meant that the woman needed to separate from people while she was in her menstrual cycle. She was considered unclean from worshipping in the temple while that was happening. But then while that wasn't happening, she was free to worship. But here is this woman, and it's not once a month. It's not once a week. It's, it's probably multiple times a day. Now, I could not imagine what that would feel like. But not only would she be considered unclean, but she would be unable to have children. She would be unable to worship at church. She couldn't go to church. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She wouldn't be able to socialize with people. She was isolated. She would have been a loner. She would have had terrible smell. This poor lady, she would have been an outcast. And for her to do what she did, she broke all the rules. She broke all the rules. She put everyone else at risk. Because if, if she was to touch someone else, they would become unclean as well. And they'd have to go through the rituals to become clean again in order to worship and make sacrifices. And here's this woman. She, she just puts it all aside. She puts her reputation aside, like Jairus put his reputation aside. And she just came to the foot of Jesus. However, Jairus did his publicly. He came and people saw it. He came to the feet of Jesus and he begged with mercy for mercy from Jesus. Everyone saw it. He interrupted. But this woman, she did it privately. And faith, any kind of faith, gets God's attention, whether it be public faith or private faith. In fact, me personally, I love the private faith better. If you can have faith in God to bring the miraculous, to bring breakthrough when no one's looking, it's just between you and him. If you can believe him for that, I think that's amazing. I think that's lovely. I think it's awesome. God honors that faith. He honors all kinds of faith. But this woman, she does it privately. And she touches. She says to herself, if I just touch the edge of his clothes, I'll be made well. And isn't it awesome that when she does in verse 29, it says immediately after she does this, right, she touches just his clothes, right? Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Wow, what a feeling that would have been for that woman. Twelve years, twelve years and, and faith, faith, before she even could see, she felt. Before she even could, could get a doctor to verify the details, she felt in her body that she was healed. That's faith. And she was happy for Jesus just to continue on his way because she knew she had what she came for. She had what she came for. You know, some people just go to church and all they, they don't want to connect with anyone. In fact, even on Facebook tonight, there are probably people watching this broadcast tonight. They're happy to stay behind the scenes. They're happy not to put notifications up. They're happy not to let anybody, especially the pastor, know they're at church tonight. But let me tell you, people, whoever you are, if you're watching tonight, that Jesus feels your touch tonight. No one else needs to know. 
but he feels it because see what he does with this woman. She reaches out in faith just to touch his clothes. And he felt, in verse 30, healing power go out from him. Like he was facing the other way, right? He's walking he's walking towards Jairus' home. And, and as he's walking, there's crowds, there's noise, there's expectation of what he's going to do with Jairus' daughter. Everyone's buzzing about what's going to happen in the future. And all of a sudden, Jesus is so aware of the presence and power of God in his life that he feels the power of God leave his body to heal someone. Like that's amazing awareness. And so what does what does God do when there's faith? He turns to it. It's about faith. And he about faces to see where this faith was coming from. Now, I think, well, we all know that he knew where the faith was coming from. But he wanted this woman to find out and to pinpoint what her faith was actually in, I believe. Because she thought to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed, right? If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. He turns around. He says, who touched my clothes? And then and then eventually she gets found out, right? She, she fesses up to it, right? And um, she came and she fell to her knees in verse 33 in front of Jesus. She's no longer behind him anymore. She's in front of him. Everybody's watching, right? She's just been unclean, remember? She's unclean. She's just touched clean. Now, when Jesus is the clean, we heard, we learned about this with the leper. Remember that story a while back? When Jesus touches the unclean, the unclean becomes clean. When Jesus touches the unclean, the unclean become clean. But first of all, she touches his clothes. She touches his robe. He turns around and says, who touched my robe? Right? And then he says to her in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. It wasn't his robe. In other words, it wasn't her touching his robe. It was her faith that made her well. It wasn't touching her robe. He was correcting her theology. You know, sometimes we can get caught up in, in formulas as Christians on, on what how to get healing or how to get salvation or whatever, and we, we think that we need to do this or that or this or touch this or go there or sing this or pray this or whatever and, you know, tick the box. But Jesus is just all about faith. He says to this woman, your faith has made you well. Faith. It's about faith. Now, how would you have felt? Let's just put pause, press the pause button. How would you have felt if you were Jairus? Hang on a second, Jesus. We're going. We agreed. We're going to go heal my daughter. You're going to. You're going to come and heal my daughter. She's. She's only little and she's dying. And I've just told you that this is desperate, right? And you. And we're just getting interrupted by this dirty lady. She's not dying. Look at her. She looks fine. She's walking. What's wrong with her? Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. I wonder what Jairus was thinking. And then Jesus calls this lady daughter. How would you have felt if you were Jairus? I'll tell you what, if that was me, to be honest, if that was me, and I've asked Jesus to come and heal my daughter, and then some dirty person that I've never met before who just, you know, 
rudely interrupts. And then Jesus calls her daughter. I would feel ripped off. I'd feel like, hang on a second, no, that's the wrong daughter. That's not the right daughter. It's my daughter. Faith picks no favorites. Jesus loves faith. God is like a magnet to faith. Seriously is. He's just looking for faith. He's looking for believers. Believers. Can we be believers, people? We'll get God's attention. You will. If you're a believer, you'll get God's attention no matter what. You can believe in the face of all hell breaking loose. You'll get God's attention. Just believe. Anyway, back to Jairus in verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, this, this lady, right, this lady that just got healed, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus. And they told Jesus, oh, they told Jairus, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. In other words, oh, well, we've had our moment. We've had our chance. The do your daughter's dead. It's a waste of time now. She's dead. That's the end. She's dead. That's the end. And, and Jesus says this to Jairus. In verse 36, it says that Jesus overheard them or it, it can be read, Jesus ignored them. And then he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Wow, that's tough. When God says something to you that makes no sense, that's when you need to believe. You need to stand on the promise of God in your life. And Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. He's just heard news from people from his house saying his daughter is dead. How, how worse can it get? And then Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Wow, what is Jesus doing here? You know, it's amazing because this scene kind of reminds me of um, Lazarus. You know, when Jesus' friend Lazarus gets sick, Jesus finds out about it in John chapter 10, and he delays his visit to Lazarus. He's, he's sick, right? He's very sick. He delays his visit to Lazarus until Lazarus is dead. And then he visits. And then he, we, we hear that he raises Lazarus from the grave. He calls him out of the grave and Lazarus comes back to life. And here, Jesus is kind of doing the same thing. You see, faith, real faith, will continue believing even when it seems like the situation is dead. That's what faith is. Faith actually goes further than what we can go in our own reasoning and logic. And here Jesus, he kind of waits. I don't think this is an accident. I think Jesus has got everything under control because it's about faith. And faith, faith in believing, Faith, believing in Jesus, goes past what we can see and hear and touch and feel. In fact, Jesus ends up getting to this place in verse 35. Can we have a look? Jesus uh, stopped the crowd, wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. Why? Because the girl was dead. Jesus then went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? She's not dead. She's asleep. 
Everyone thought Jesus was hilarious. Jesus was being completely serious. Completely serious. She's not dead. She's asleep. She's not dead. She's asleep. No, no, no. Hang on, Jesus. She is, she is clinically dead. She's dead. But Jesus says, no, she's not dead. She's asleep. No, but Jesus, you're wrong. She's actually dead. Like we've just felt her pulse. She is clinically dead. Jesus says, no, no, no. She's not dead. She's asleep. When it comes to death, right, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It, only just by believing in Jesus, we can have eternal life, even though we die. Now, Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave, but I can guarantee you that Lazarus died eventually, and he got buried. And he didn't get risen from the grave again, but one day he will, because of his faith in Jesus as the saviour of the world, one day Lazarus will rise again to new life and be eternally alive in heaven with God and all the other believers. This little girl was not dead but asleep, says Jesus. In other words, what really matters is eternal life and eternal death. Now this little girl, we see Jesus go into her room with three disciples and her parents. Why? Why did he cast out all of those that laughed at him? Why did he cast them out? In fact, the Greek word for he cast them out of the room is like the same word that they use when, when Jesus casts out demons from people. It's the same word. He really wanted them out of the room, in other words. And so they all left. Why? They had no faith in what Jesus could do. They thought it was funny that Jesus could rise someone back from the dead. They thought it was hilarious that Jesus was here late. You know, he was supposed to be here earlier and he didn't come through with what he was going to do. But Jesus knew that Jairus wanted his daughter alive and the mother wanted his, their daughter alive. And the three disciples with him, Peter, James and John, uh, sorry, yeah, Peter, James and John, wanted her alive too because they expected Jesus to do a miracle. And so Jesus was raising the faith levels but he had to he had to he had to use the faith that was in the room. And so it says here in verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the much commotion. He went inside the room and asked why all this commotion and weeping. And they laughed at him. And then it says he took the, the mother and father and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her by the hand. Now, this is Jesus breaking rules right here. Not only was Jesus touched by an unclean woman just previously and then clinically unclean or ceremonially unclean, he is now touching a dead girl. That is not, that's taboo in the law. But Jesus Christ is showing us what it means to be a believer, what it means to have faith. It's not about obeying the law. It's about having faith in a God who can do the impossible a God who can do overwhelmingly more than we could ever dream or imagine. And so he, he held the little girl by the hand and he said, little girl, get up. And the girl was 12 years old and she got up. And everyone was overwhelmed with, with what Jesus could do. Everyone was overwhelmed with what Jesus could do for this little girl. I believe that Mark puts these two stories together to teach us a lesson that fa about faith. It's about faith.
that faith has no favourites. You can be the most rich person in the planet, or you can be the poorest outsider. If you have faith, you will get God's attention. Have you got some have you got something in your life that needs Jesus to touch? Have you got a, a place in your heart that you just need Jesus to touch that that place in your heart? A place in your life that you just need the touch of Jesus. Something, some part of you that's dead that just needs resurrection. Is there a place in you somewhere that's unclean or, or a place that's, that's just, it just needs a miracle? It doesn't matter how big your faith is. You just need some faith to get God's attention. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes and continues to believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The righteous will live by faith. It's faith from first to last. And the wonderful thing about this story is that this one woman, one daughter, gets a new lease on life after 12 years. And another daughter gets a new life after 12 years to experience the rest of her life. But ultimately, can I just, you know, I think this is a story with a fantastic ending. It's just such a happy ending. Everyone walks away healed and Jesus is the king and the saviour. But can I just be the spoiler in the party tonight? Eventually, the lady that had the healing of the bleeding, she ended up dying. The little girl that was raised back to life by Jesus, she would have ended up dying too. The point I'm trying to make is what really is important is faith in God. When Jesus Christ comes back to earth, will he find faith on the earth? Not faith to do miracles, not faith to preach sermons, not faith to go to church, not faith to see mountains move or people healed. That's great, but what God is really after is believers in Jesus. Do you believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin? Do you believe that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you will do in the future, that believing in Jesus Christ and the death he died on the cross, his resurrection to new life, is enough to pay for your sins, past, present, and future? Do you believe that? You might know that. I mean, we all know that. We all know the Bible says that. But do you believe it? Because God's looking for believers. It's about faith. Let's pray. Father, we believe that you are the one who gave your one and only son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We believe, God, that you are the God who answers prayer, whether it be public or private whether we be rich people or poor nobody outcasts. You're a God who picks no favourites. You're a God who searches for faith. In fact, you're a magnet to faith. You turn wherever there's faith. It always gets your attention. And tonight, God, we pray that you would see the faith in our hearts for you to do amazing things in our lives, God, amazing things in our marriages, God, amazing things in our futures, Father. We pray that there would be Breakthrough, Lord God, in, in our in our income, in our finances, God, in our employment, God, in our relationships, God, in our future, Father God. We pray that there'd be overcoming favour 
from God in each and every factor of our life, each and every sector of our life, Father God. We pray for our kids to come to know Jesus. We pray for our friends to come to know Jesus. We believe that they will, Father God. We're believing that they will come to know Jesus. We're believers, Father God. And tonight, I want to pray, Father God, that if anyone is watching this or listening to this message, God, that that they would know that if they died tonight, that they would be in your arms, not because of what they could do, not because of what they have done, but by believing. And, God, we believe. We believe in you. We believe that you rose again. We believe that you're coming back to, to judge between the living and the dead. We believe that you love us. We believe that you sent your son to die for us on the cross. And we believe that we will be with you forever just by believing. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.